jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Traveling without moving. The Season Travelers Podcast on jasoncharles.net is sponsored by Pim Philip Experiences, the Manhattan-based tour company that provides custom travel and event experiences in New York City and beyond. Heightening visitor perspectives and engaging business groups with licensed multilingual local guides, Pim Philip offers tailor-made urban expeditions and virtual experiences, often along unexpected routes. Go to pimphilip.com for more information. That's P-I-M-P-H-I-L-I-P.com. Traveling without moving on jasoncharles.net. This is Gina Hadley. I live in New York City. And I went to Glastonbury with my 14-year-old daughter last summer. So the idea of going to Glastonbury, I think, was something that I came upon. My daughter is not interested in a lot of material things, but music is a real driver for her. And so we had the opportunity to get tickets from somebody who knows the festival well. And I think we got the tickets and we were very excited. And then once it all became a reality, I, the panic set in. I'm not, I'm not a festival person. I had no idea where we were going. I'm from New York City. I do not camp. And I had these, these moments where I really thought this is a folly it's going to be horrible. I'm going to end up in a muddy pit somewhere with a tent that doesn't stay up. And I was so close to canceling it. And then I realized that that was ridiculous and we could survive it. So I was staying at a friend's house in London and thank God for Amazon. I had the tent delivered and I had the sleeping bags delivered and The lineup was one that my 14-year-old was super excited about. She is very into a band called The XX. So luckily, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous heat wave in London. Everyone was freaking out, like English people and the heat. Not so good, like all ruddy and sweaty and no air conditioning. But as New Yorkers, we were completely up for it. And... I hired a kid that I knew who was one of my son's soccer coaches who still lived in the UK to drive us. And so we started on this journey and I got my Amazon packages. We unpacked our tent. We bought water and nuts and stopped at the petrol station and filled up the car and drove forever and ever and ever. And it just kept on going. It's like three and a half hours. We passed Stonehenge, which was the only traffic that we encountered. So I got to see Stonehenge, so I could check that off the list. One of the things that you realize about New York is that we haven't spent a lot of time caring about the entrance and the exit of what it is to get in and out of the city. And once you get out of London, the hills start to roll so quickly and the farmland. And it is always amazing to me that here is one of the capitals of the world and 35 minutes from there, you can like get stuck behind a tractor, that you're not still in Queens. And so it was beautiful. Francesca had made a playlist. And so we drove about three hours and then we started getting closer and closer. 
And we were lucky that the folks that got us the tickets got us like the golden ticket. And so we had this parking pass and we just kept encountering volunteers who kept saying, go to the next gate, go to the next gate. So we got as far as we could. And it is what you expect. You come over this hill and as you come around these grassy knolls and it's this all this farmland, you can start to hear the thumping. Francesca and I joked that it was, I don't know if any Harry Potter listeners, but there is the Quidditch tournament in the Order of the Phoenix, and that's what it felt like. It's all these massive tents with like the stereotypical flags and pennants, and it's like a village, and the humanity, just people everywhere. So you're in it, right? You, you pull up and you get dropped off and you're trudging through with our rugsacks and the tent. And we started in. Once you look up and you start to like get perspective, you realize that it just goes on and on. And we decided that we would kind of make our home the campsite because there was a lovely little restaurant and a coffee shop and all of that. But you realize they're everywhere. Like people are doing that all over this festival. They're creating their own little communities. And then once you kind of get into where the big stages are, it is throbbing. Every shape and size of people and folks that you can't even believe, like they look like they're from the East Enders, this old couple, and they're here with their lawn chairs and their coolers. And that's, I think, why people go to festivals is to, part, is to share this moment with a whole community that they're not necessarily part of. To begin with, I don't think most adults are sober or straight for most of the festival. I'm not obviously gonna participate in any of the recreational narcotics that might be available to most people who go to a festival. And I'm really not gonna drink because there's really nothing less classy than being wasted in front of your kid. So it was just me and Chess. And I have to say, Technology is an extraordinary thing. I had a tent that I actually grabbed the top of and I just pulled it and it like just like popped open and we had to find a spot because we were late because we didn't go till Saturday morning. Started on the Wednesday before and people start camping on like Monday and they bring their caravans and they bring their cookout and they make literally villages. And the thing that was extraordinary is the difference of the tents. Like I bought us what you would call a four-person tent, but really two of us and our stuff. There were people that were sleeping in tents that were basically just like a little shelter over a sleeping bag, like a pod. And then, But then there were also villages that people had built with banners and they had outdoor seating and rugs and all of this kind of stuff. And so this lovely volunteer said, well, you're just going to have to like find a spot. And so we just found a spot and we put up our good American Coleman tent and we put our stuff in it and we sat in the tent for a minute and kind of looked at each other and thought, okay, so we're at Glastonbury. And so I, I told Francesca, it's you, you are going to drive this entire thing. So the first band, the first performer that she wanted to see was a, a English girl called Dua Lipa. And we enter and the venues all have different names and it's not the John Dory tent, but it's like you go to this tent and then it's this part. So we went to this tent and it's one of like the circusy tents. And it just starts. And there she was. And it was so cool to be in this environment 
with all of these fans. And there were plenty of people who didn't know who she was, who were just showed up there because they were there for something else. But then all of these rabid Dua Lipa fans who were all singing along and dancing and knew all the words. So we see that show and then you kind of like have to figure out your own journey through the campsite and through the different shows. So we knew there were certain bands that we needed to see. She's, you know, a young girl. So we had to see Halsey. We had to see the XX and we had to see Radiohead. And then you discover things. Like we discovered this band called Glass Animals that we loved. And like this was a band that I'd never heard of before. It was so English. There were crowd surfing. People brought props. They have a song that has pineapples in it. People had blow up pineapples, blow up pineapple, like pool inflatable things. Like there were young people, there were old people, there were folks that had kids with the soundproof headphones and little trolleys. This is something that folks go year after year to Glastonbury and they create this whole culture there. It's a city. It's a city that exists. And if it weren't for that farmer and those volunteers and the security was extraordinary, but you never felt unsafe. But unlike like American security where they're so mean, the security, all the nice English guys would like hand water out to the crowds because they had water containers. And then, and then you start to discover that there are shops. I mean, they've set up places to eat and places to shop. And so we got through about four or five bands and, and then it was XX, which from us was the pinnacle of all of it. And we're in it and we're dancing and we're listening. And then this moment happened where crowds switch for different acts and it was XX was on the main stage and the next was Radiohead. And it was like the most aggro 45 year old guys. You know who Radiohead fans are, right? So it like, I thought, I, I thought we were never getting out of there. It was my one moment of feeling unsafe there because as you're trying to exit and everybody's trying to get in there and wait for that, because there's a lot of hurry up and wait because there's 35 or 40 minutes between shows, but you have to get there in order to secure your place. That was when it all felt very overwhelming to me. And so we decided that perhaps being right by the stage for Radiohead wasn't wasn't making us feel super safe. So we exited and we found a drink and we found places to eat and we met people and there was a whole like troubadour act that was up while we were eating. This really delicious Indian curry. Like that, of course, you know, the food was not hot dogs and hamburgers. There was There was a pie shop, there was the curry shop. And then we sat on the hill and we thought it would be, you know, they have these huge screens, but you know, fucking Tom York can't just show the show on the screen. It had to be like this whole installation. And so it was this great, we didn't get to see, we got to hear Radiohead, but we didn't get to see the show, which was fine. So we lasted through that. And then I'm thinking like, it's been a long day. We're going to go back to the tent. Most people at Glastonbury, that's not the end of it. So we finally make our way back to the tent, the whole thing, brush our teeth, blah, blah, blah. Then the DJs started. So the DJ sets start at midnight. And so, cause you're with your 14 year old and you're not going to dance all night long. We ended up watching Heather's on her phone in our tent and eating, you know, like our biscuits and drinking our Ribena. Because, you know, as you do when you're in the UK. 
and I have to be honest, this is when it started to like wear on us because you are hearing everything around you in all of these tents. The music is like thunk, 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 thunk. And then you're hearing different and you're hearing people come in and out. So I listen, I put my headphones in. I listened to the XX on repeat play all night long. But the next morning, <laughs> so you know when you are in situations and we had had the best time. It's such a great day together, but it's like me and my 14 year old, like a lot of time together. We wake up the next morning, Glastonbury is famous for its crappy weather. So the sun had subsided, the clouds were moving in, it was raining on the tent. I was listening to all the smokers like hawk up a lung the next morning in the tents next to me. Francesca was the only in this one camping area, the only kid there. I don't know why that was, but everyone was like, there were parties together. There were groups that had come and when we showed up, they were all sitting outside their tents and they were barbecuing and they were drinking wine and all English. I don't know. We were in this section. We were lucky enough to get like a pass to camp in an area that was like, they saved you a spot. But then we went and had a lovely cup of coffee and we sat and it was started to rain and Francesca and I both looked at each other and we were like, all right. We're done. I'm sure that there were other bands that we could have discovered, but we'd had that perfect moment. The weather was starting to go crap and we weren't going to shower there. And I just, why ruin it? So we, so we started the next adventure was like, how the fuck do we get out of here? Some folks had told us like, you just leave everything when you leave. You leave all your tents, you leave your shit, and they will donate it to charity. Just, we've discovered is not true. That is like a myth to make you feel better about walking away from your campsite. So, you know, we broke down our tent and rolled up our sleeping bags, and then we had to figure out a way to get to the train station. So there was this whole queue for cars, one would pull up and drop somebody off. He'd be like, hey, can you just take me to the train? Oh, no, no, I can't do that. You can't, like, you didn't book me. We finally found this woman who took pity on us and brought us to the train. And then we had, like, another one of those experiences. We're in this perfect railway station that feels like it's out of a Victorian film. And there were these girls there, and we had all our VIPs. So we worked our wristbands off of our wrists, and we gave them our lanyards, and we gave them our VIP passes because I felt that it was the universe saying, like, you left early, and now you can give somebody else the experience to get through the entrances that you can't all get into. And I have to say, I don't regret leaving early at all. We had this idyllic time there, I think, like, 36 hours she didn't roll her eyes at me and we danced and we and she wasn't embarrassed and I sang along and she introduced me to music I hadn't heard before and then it was time to go and I think that something there's there is a moment in travel where you realize like I could push this further and I could ruin all of this or I could just like get out and that's in so many ways a Hadley family motto like when it's when we're done we're done and I know that maybe our flight is tomorrow but I really want to go home today so or let's stay an extra day this isn't enough like I we have one more because leaving something wanting more is so much I don't know there's like that aspiration of doing everything sometimes ruins the actual event so we got on this idyllic train and we listened to music on the way home and we got into Paddington and 
We took the good black cab home. And I also, look, I hadn't seen my husband in a week. I hadn't seen my son in a week. And so we got back to this beautiful apartment that we were staying in. And it was still warm because it was the heat wave in London. And we'd done it. We did Glastonbury. And I have to be honest, I don't think I ever need to go back again. <laughs> I don't. I did it. I checked it off my list. And also, I got such unbelievable points and cred for being the mom that took their kid to Glastonbury. I'm like, you really like that? I, her friends think I'm the bomb now. And that's worth the price of admission, for sure. I think Francesca would be honest that we had a great time, but we're really good friends. I mean, look, we're still mother and daughter, and I say this with a lot of pride. As she matures, we are able to do things together, but we're really honest with each other, and we had a really good time, and I think she would say to her friends, like, my mom took me to Glastonbury, and it was awesome. And then when I was ready to go home, she said, okay, let's go home. And I didn't make her stand in the rain and see the Foo Fighters, because really, who needs to do that? And then we got a stolen day in London that we didn't think we were going to have. We got to walk up the river and we went to Borough Hall and it was really nice to be there after what had gone on and to support the, I mean, it was empty because of the incident that had happened earlier on in the summer. And it was just, we got a day together that we didn't think we were going to have with her dad and her brother. And those are important things to know too, that I think especially when you travel with kids, you have to understand how far you can push your kids. And we got to have a day and we got to have dinner together and we got to watch a movie in a very orderly and civilized manner. The next day we got in a car and we went to the airport instead of meeting and rushing and train stations and packing and people getting uptight and feeling frustrated and like, it just all worked well. And coming back to New York, it was not as much of a letdown. We'd already taken some air out before we got on the long haul to get back to New York. The most iconic moment of that was not around the music. It was, we had seen a couple of really good performances in a row, and then we had to go find something to eat. And it's those moments where she and I were kind of comrades in it till then, and then I became her mom again, where she was a little overwhelmed, she was really hungry, and we found the yummy Thai curry place and I got her exactly what she wanted and we found a dry, warm place to sit. We got our sustenance and looking around at all the people and there was you know, some funny acts going around and everybody trying to figure out what they wanted to eat. It's just that very human moment of what do you want? I'm starving, what do you want to eat? I don't know, what do you want to eat? And like focusing her and getting the food and sitting down and she was so happy and she was so, and at that moment, she was so thankful that we were there together. And I joke, I mean, I say this to her all the time, like, don't you want to take someone else? Like, but I, I am lucky that my daughter thinks I'm her best friend and we got to share that together. If you are going to go to Glastonbury, make sure your tent is really easy to put up, bring really good earplugs, and I think it's like any experience that you don't know what it's, just be open. And also bring that pad that you're supposed to put your sleeping bag on, because the sleeping bag alone is not going to do it for you. <laughs> My next trip with Francesca, at the end of June, she's going to come with Eric and I for the first time to the advertising festival in Cannes. And she is going to work at something called the Girls' Lounge, which is like a outpost at these big festivals for women professionals to get together and share ideas and talk about issues and problems and solutions. And then we're going to drive up to San Remo because she is right now obsessed with this movie called Call Me By Your Name. 
and I can't get it a crema, but at least I can get it a San Remo. <laughs> You've been listening to Traveling Without Moving on jasoncharles.net. Traveling Without Moving, the seasoned travelers podcast on jasoncharles.net is sponsored by Pim Philip Experiences, the Manhattan-based tour company that provides custom travel and event experiences in New York City and beyond. Heightening visitor perspectives and engaging business groups with licensed multilingual local guides, Pim Philip offers tailor-made urban expeditions and virtual experiences, often along unexpected routes. Go to pimphilip.com for more information. That's P-I-M-P-H-I-L-I-P.com. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.